Coming up next, Christine Lentz. She's a below the knee, below elbow, quad amputee, and sepsis survivor since January of 2014. She is a mother of three boys and a loving wife. Christine is an amputee advocate and a program director at the Limb Preservation Foundation. This organization is dedicated to advancing patient possibilities who are facing the challenges of limb loss and limb differences. Please welcome Christine Lentz. Hey, Christine. So good to see you today. Great to see you too, Rick. <laughs> I know we had some technical difficulties this morning, and it seems like we're we're back on the rails and we are ready to get into it with you. I have a lot of ground to cover with you because you are actually my first meeting of a quad. You, Yeah. This is my first experience talking to someone who is a quad amputee. And I certainly get, with what I do here, I, I, I get plenty of interactions with lots of different types of amputees and people with limb differences and stuff. Uh, however, um, this will be my, my maiden vo voyage into the world of being a quad. So I think the first thing that comes to my mind and I certainly have, have gone through your some of your video blog and read up on you. And I know about so much of the amazing things that you're doing um, with the Limb Preservation Foundation. And we're going to get into all of that. We are definitely going to cover that ground. But from, from my perspective, being an amputee and also what I know as our audience audience perspective in terms of many of which are amputees as well. I, I think I want to learn quite a bit about you as well from a from a personal standpoint because your your story is is fascinating. Uh, sepsis is something that's very real and not many folks in the set of circumstances, that you are in, have been in, and have risen above and moved beyond. Usually, a lot of those folks, um, and I'm I'm not trying to trying to put everyone in the same hopper, but m many of which don't really want to talk too much about their situation. Let's say, being a, a you know a right below the knee amputee myself knowing what I've been through in terms of my own personal journey and struggle. Of course, my initial reaction when I see someone like yourself is, what am I complaining about? Um, you know, there's, there's so much more for someone like yourself to navigate in terms of adapting to those new normals, utilizing this incredible technology that we all have access to or hopefully can get access to and to be able to navigate life you know you know just watching your your video blog about you know how you shower and how you navigate that space all of those things are are super fascinating to me so with that i think i want to understand a little bit better what happened to you in terms of what happened 
you know, pre-op, what happened post-op, you know, what, what was that little journey into this whole new world that you landed in? You know, what did that look like? Well, my journey began late 2013. Um, I had a surgery. It was after quite a bit after my three sons were born. Um, they were born pretty close together, the 20 months apart, Okay. each of them. And as a female, it pretty much wrecked my female organs. I mean, they, I, I had a lot of, um, atrophy and prolapse and stuff that I wanted to get taken care of. And so I went into um, what I heard was a reputable surgeon, a couple of surgeons to get that taken care of. And um, so I went in for surgery in November of 2013, um, had a couple of surgeries to get that taken care of. And the thing was, is that I made the mistake of having two very risky surgeries together at the same time. Mm. And um, that was the mistake that I, I wish I had taken a little bit more, more research time um, and not done those two surgeries together, but I did. And right from the get-go, my healing wasn't going as planned. I could tell. But my surgeons said everything is healing as planned. Everything looks good. But I was having a lot of problems. And so from the, from the start, I, I started getting a little nervous and I kept going in for appointments saying, this doesn't look right. This doesn't look right. And they kept saying, you're healing like normal. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. By Christmas of 2013, I started seeing some major signs that things weren't going as planned. And I got a fever and it was also during flu season. And I went into the hospital with a fever and pretty much all the signs of sepsis. But 2013 was a time when sepsis wasn't well known. So explain for the audience what those signs look like. So signs of sepsis are a high fever, low blood pressure, confusion, um, not being able to urinate. Um, those are pretty much the major signs that you can really tell that something is wrong. And from and, this previous um, surgeries, really just, from, from those previous surgeries, you, you were, you weren't fully healed yet. I wasn't fully healed. So I, you were still yeah, in the, to make a good point there is that I was about five weeks out. Okay. So you were still essentially in recovery. However, mm-hmm. you were developing all these other symptoms aside from what doctors were telling you is, oh no, you're, you're healing normal. You had all these right. other sort of outer rim things happening going, I, I don't feel right. Like I don't, I don't feel well. I don't, I, I certainly, I'm sure would think, Hey, I understand I'm, I'm still recovering, but these are sort of like extraordinary kind of symptoms that I'm having. Yeah, that I'm having. And once you did get in direct medical care, what what was going on there with your team? So when I went in and said, hey, I, I have fever. I have these signs of sepsis. I didn't know they were sepsis. I didn't even know what sepsis was. I had these this fever and I went in and I said, hey, I, I'm sick. What's going on here? And I had gone in just because I was sick. Yeah. 
And the doctor said to me, oh, well, you have the flu. And um, previous to that, they had taken my blood. They'd done a, they, they had taken my blood, but they didn't test my blood. They had mm. taken it. And um, they, he said, well, you have the flu. And I said, well, I feel like there's something more than the flu. This just feels worse than the flu. Can you, can you test further? I don't know what it is, but can you test further? And he was adamant. No, you just have the flu. And he was a little belligerent about it, actually. Mm. And um, he called me a slur. And um, said, "Fine, I'll test you. I'll test. I'll I'll test you for the flu. But I, I guarantee you, you have the flu." Unfortunately, when they did the test, it confirmed that I had the flu, but I also had sepsis. Mm. And so he came back and said, "I told you so. You have the flu. Here's your meds. Go home." And um, I went home, and don't remember anything after that. And so for the next two to three days, I got all the signs of sepsis, don't remember a thing, and um, woke up on the 27th of December, um, and just all I could remember was I dialed my cell phone because I was sleeping upstairs. My husband was sleeping downstairs because I had the flu, and I dialed him and yelled out something, and I vaguely remember him carrying me downstairs and me screaming and he took me to the hospital and I don't, I didn't remember anything for the next two months. Wow. I had gone into septic. I had gone into septic shock at that point. Yeah. And can you, can, for, for our listeners that hear the word sepsis, cause we, we, we mm-hmm. hear it from time to time. Can you explain exactly what that means? What's happening to your body when you have sepsis? So at that point, what was happening to my body is that um, just my my legs were their necrosis. There was just no blood was getting to my lower limbs, and um, my blood pressure was very very low, and um, I was delirious. My fever was very very high. And, um, my organs were shutting down. All my vital organs were shutting down. And so when they got me to the hospital, um, they realized that I had gone into septic shock. I had toxic shock and strep A. And, um, they said to my parents who had come to the hospital at that point that, you know, she's, she's very, very sick. And I made it through the night and they thought that I was going to be okay but then all of a sudden I crashed and my blood pressure just dropped precipitously. And that's when I went into shock and they told my parents, my husband and my kids that I wasn't going to make it through the night. And they brought in a priest and they just said, say your goodbyes. And um, so that's when um, they put what's called presser drugs in my system. And these drugs are to really save your vital organs. Mm -hmm. And, but it's at the cost of blood, the cost of blood going to your limbs. So your outer extremity is essentially uh, strangled in that situation. Mm -hmm. And so thus you end up having your no blood going to your limbs. So your limbs suffer and you end up having to be amputated. 
Yeah, so we're, so we're we're preserving our our organs, and we're essentially doing a, a hail mary pass to save your life, but it's at a cost, and that cost exactly. is is limb loss. And at what point in all of that whirlwind? Because that's certainly a lot to digest, even even in itself. Uh, going through that, especially in this probably the state of mind you were in which was, I, I would assume, was sort of falling in and out of, you know, really, re- really, truly understanding, like, what's what's happening to me. At, at what point do you come to grips with, um, you know, I'm going to become a quad amputee. I'm, I'm going to lose my limbs. You know, that's a, that's a really good question because I, it's, it's interesting because I don't know if I ever really had a moment where I came to grips. And I don't even know if I still have come to grips. It's kind of like, it was a gradual acceptance. It was like, this is my reality and I'm just gonna take it day by day by day and try to um, just keep on living. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like a conscious decision that I'm accepting this. Although my mother did say that she asked me, do you want to live or die? And that I said the words, I choose life, but I don't remember any of that. Hmm. And, um, I think that it was just, I knew that I had three children to raise and that I loved my husband and I loved my family and that I just wasn't going to die for them. I didn't want to just pass away for them. There was still too much to do. And so I just kept going day to day. Yeah, and I I appreciate that that transparency and you know recognizing who is in your orbit in those moments. I know for myself, being a, a transplant recipient, a kidney transplant recipient, and then obviously uh, losing a limb, I always felt like everyone that was around me, everyone that was supporting me or praying for me or whatever they were doing to send, you know, positive energy in my direction, I always felt that that was deserving of my best efforts. That I was in some ways I owed them my my effort, my my, you know, my 100% belief that I was going to do everything I could to to be my best self, even if even if in that moment it was just to 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 lay here and have a positive thought, I owed everyone in that circle um, my best self. And you being a mother of three boys, you know, uh, having a husband who obviously you know very much supports you and is behind you in this. What, what do you feel, and this might even be hard to answer because I always felt like when I was going through everything in my own journey that I was just, I was so like in my own kind of, I just got to get through the next day. I just got to get through the next hour. Like, I, I, I think I can, I think I can. And now in retrospect, I start to process <clears throat> what was this like for them? 
what yeah. was the emotional, what was the psychological set that they were going through? And do you, I mean, do you ever think about that? Is that something that you've had moments uh, with your family where you, where you sort of walk through it? I hate to refer to it like memory lane, but like, do you kind of, hey, like, how were you feeling at that time? Or, you know, what got you through it? Uh, does does that ever come up in conversation for you with family? Yes, yes. Um, I have a lot of guilt surrounding that, actually. Um, because when I first became a quad, I didn't know any other quads. Yeah. And so I didn't have anybody to really reference or lean on to say, how do you handle your children? How do you handle, you know, how do you handle their feelings and, you know, what they're feeling and how do you help them? Because I knew that they were going to need some help and there was regrets. Like I, to this day, regret that I didn't get them some kind of professional counseling. And I do tell fellow quads now, I, I say, hey, you know, your family's going to be going through some things, especially your kids. And you might want to suggest some counseling or ask if they want counseling or something like that, because they are going through a lot. Yeah. And I didn't ignore it, but I think I've kind of missed some signs that maybe they were struggling. And especially my youngest, because he was only in eighth grade at the time. Mm. And that's a very turbulent time for any kid, eighth grade middle school, middle school is the worst. And to have to go through their mother going through something so visual and kids, middle kids, school kids are so mean. I mean, generally they can be so cruel and you're going through so much in middle school and to have something so visual happen to your mom and kids were teasing him and being cruel to him and making fun of him because of me and how I looked. And you know, it wasn't until later that we realized that he was experiencing that. And um, I think to this day, he still is traumatized by it a little bit. And yeah. now we do talk about it. And, you know, I think now he's dealing with it in his own way and in a very good way. Um, but it's been nine years. And gosh, I, I feel really guilty that he had to struggle that long. And, um, gosh, I wish we had done something sooner for yeah. him. Yeah, no, so, it's it's, yeah. it's a great point. And it's something that we are very much in this podcast trying to get this information to families so they have an awareness mm -hmm. and they understand that, you know, family life, the daily life, you know, what we go through uh, in our personal relationships, that doesn't end when you suffer you know, some type of loss of a limb or any illness, any chronic illness, you have to reinvent and figure out how to move forward. What, so what would be the piece of advice that you would give to someone um, going through something similar to yourself uh, that is in a, uh, that is in a marriage, that is, that, that is part of a, a partnership with someone, what what would be the advice that you would give them if they were staring down this sort of situation and saying, okay, what, what, how do we navigate this? What do we do next? 
use humor. Um, humor has gotten us through a ton of stuff. Yeah. Um, I say be open with your feelings and, um, you know, don't take anything seriously and, and really focus on really the important things and let all the little things go. I mean, yeah. you really, you really can't sweat the small stuff anymore because there's just too much. And, um, especially with your kids, like, and I noticed with our kids, we stopped getting mad about silly things. You know, it was really, the little things will work themselves out. You know, if you leave your dishes in the sink, you know, when if that used to be the hugest thing in the world, it's yeah. just not, you know, don't, you know, don't berate them over silly little things, you know, get on them. Maybe if, if they're not doing, you know, something that's really important, but just little like chore things and things like that. It just, it's just not worth it. It's you, you realize really what the important things are. Um, also, as far as kids, one thing that I saw a fellow quad do that I thought was really, really good is she went to her child's, she went to a school. It wasn't her child's school, but I would even suggest her somebody's child's school and had a, and talked to the school. Um, made an made an appointment and an arrangement to talk to the school um, and had like a little, um, I don't know what you call it, not a conference, but a little thing where she explained what amputees are and how they live and that they're normal and that the kids are normal and they have normal lives and took the mystique and the, the scary out of an amputee and um, made it almost cool. Yeah. So that the kids' school would look at it totally different because I think the only reason that kids tease about amputees is because they don't understand. They're uneducated. They don't know. They're scared. And I thought, wow, that was a really good idea that she got to get the kids to know what an amputee was and that they're just normal people. You know, they're just yeah. something happened to them. I think I think demystifying that whole uh you know, that whole kind of lifestyle is, I think is really critical. I know for myself, I always feel that so much of my interactions with people is about normalizing this kind of life, making them understand yeah. it's not all that different. It requires a couple of other, you know, different moving parts, so to speak. However, yeah. once we adapt and we sort of move past the, uh, you know, the 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 sort of, I guess, acceptance of just change in general, and that can happen with anything. That can happen with any part of your life. Someone gets a new career, and now you have to move out of state. That's a major change, and that could be an earmark of like a huge pivotal part in like your life story or life plan, and mm -hmm. becoming an amputee in many regards, is no different. It's just, okay, this is very different now. Now we have to navigate differently. We have to adapt. We have to drive differently. We have to cook differently. We have to do all these different things in a little bit of a different way. So I think that the normalization piece is pretty important. And certainly when I, when I follow you know, video, the video blogs that you've done, 
I see, okay, this is someone who very much is just living a normal life. It might look a little different. Um, she's using some gear, some equipment that looks kind of cool and different. However, it's all just very normal. And we talk to a lot of amputees that are very high functioning, you know, Paralympic athletes, people that are, you know, climbing mountains, so to speak, from a fitness right. standpoint. I actually work very hard to engage people like yourself as often as possible because we are the majority. We are the majority of this community in that we work, we have relationships, we have kids, and we just want to live in that normal space, in that normal mm -hmm. life. I mean, don't do you, I mean, obviously, but don't you feel like generally uh, amputees are misunderstood? Yeah. I do. And that's, you bring up an interesting point because I kind of watch new amputees, especially quad amputees. They'll, they'll begin to be, and not every one of them, but some of them will become an amputee at first. They'll become a quad amputee at first. And, you know, it's almost like they're a superhero in a way. And they're getting praised by their, you know, people. Oh my gosh, you made it. You're so amazing, blah, blah, blah. It's just, you know, it, it's like this mystique and they're just, you know, and they're getting all of this attention. And so they almost get this feeling like they are a superhero or a superhuman. And then, but then it wears off. Oh yeah. It that, does. All that attention and that people serving them and all of that stuff that is gone after about a year. And then you are put into a normal place. You yep. know, people stop bringing you all those meals and people stop helping you. And, you know, all of a sudden you hit a point where you're not progressing a lot. You're you've, you've stalled that you're as good as you're going to get. You're as advanced as you're going to get. And this is where you're going to be. And, um, and then I think that they get a little, just not depressed, but a little bit like, wait, this is it, you know? Yeah. And what's next? Yeah, what's next? And it's like I can't. And I watch people get that way. They get, you know, it's like they expect like they're always going to be on that high level, but then you're going to get normal. You're going to be normal, and that you're just you're going to have to get to a normal place at some point. Well, I see. I see a lot of this playing out in social media. And yes. I'm very much a part of those communities. And, you know, very often those, those, you know, those groups, let's call them, they can be certainly an inspiration and can be great in the cheerleading kind of role. Like, hey, you go, yeah. you're doing it. But sometimes that can be a curse as well. Because like you're suggesting let's say there's a setback, you know, let's say mm -hmm. something happens, you know, on that quote unquote new leg day, like I'm getting my new leg today. I'm getting my new this, my new that. Let's say that that doesn't pan out the way you thought. Let's say that you are not getting back 
to the same activities as quickly as you had hoped. Yeah. Being a, you know, being a, a below the knee amputee myself, I spent so much time just trying to get to a point where I was comfortable, where I felt like I can do this every day. I can work. I can do the things that I enjoy. And there was all of my focus was just this, this one limb, this, this prosthesis that I'm wearing and it doesn't fit right. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't do all these things that I want it to do. And doing the work to realize that so much of that is up to me. It's not Mm -hmm. up to the communities. It's not up to the cheerleaders. It's really not up to the Facebook group to like, get me there. Uh, That I'm not discounting it. It can, it can be uh, certainly be a motivator. However, when it comes, when it all kind of funnels down to yes or no, it, it's really my decision. And I think about someone like yourself and the amount of prosthetics you employ on a daily basis. And I'll be honest, Christine, I get overwhelmed thinking about it because I'm like, okay, you know, I was just dealing with this one limb and making sure that felt right and I could move right, yeah. and I could develop my gait, and I could do all the things that I wanted to do. And again, you know, that word normal comes into my, you know, my mental orbit of, I just, I want to appear normal. And I know even that can be a, a, a slippery slope um, when yeah. you start getting into that headspace of normal. I mean, wh- I mean, what the hell is normal? Right. I mean, n- nothing's normal. Uh, but I think about your, someone like yourself and I go to this place of, you know, I wonder what inspires you. You know, what are the things, the people, the the words, the occurrences, what what are the things that inspire you and and get you over those those little speed bumps in your own journey? I think of the alternative. And I think of I think about where I was, you know, that really does keep me going. I think, okay, this maybe doesn't feel right now, or this isn't really good now, but just remember where you were back in, you know, February of 2014. Where were you in 2014? Where were you sleeping? Where were you, what were you eating? What, and you just go, oh my goodness, (laughs) is this better than that? And that always gets me right out of it, you know, is I, you know, you're not there anymore. And what would you have done in 2014 to be right here right now? And that usually just pulls me right out. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think I visit that particular equation myself very often in my mind. What's the alternative? Mm -hmm. Um, Can you just walk us really fast through your prosthetics, like what, what you're wearing, what you're sporting currently? So what I have now is, um, and and I've gone through different styles of prosthetics too. And what I've landed on and what I think works best for me is I have two body powered hooks and um, they are separated and not everybody does them separated, but I have separated them and I'll stand up and you can see the back. Well, my hair is going to be in the way. (laughs) I can see it though. You can see it? Yeah, we can see yeah, it. They're two, two separated in the back so that I can take 
I can wear one at a time. And not everybody does that, but like I'm taking this one off and I can wear this one by itself um, so that if I get one that's injured, which has happened, I can have that off and still have function with the other one. Yep. Um, I also have two myoelectrics, but I got them long ago when myoelectrics were just coming around and they were made for men. They only had designs for men, mm. so they were very heavy. And I didn't wear them all the time. They were also, you had to have a lot of iterations, move a lot of iterations to get them to, you know, turn right, turn left, open, close. And I, I wanted quick response. And with the hip body powered, you just push and it opens. It's body powered. So I didn't have to rely on any kind of technology or, you know, it to be charged um, to work or anything like that. It was just my own body working, yep. working the prosthetics. So, and then my legs, pull it up there. Yeah. It's, um, it's just really basic. It's just, um, uh, I don't know what you call this, but it's just um, pretty basic. I don't have anything too fancy. Um, yeah, yeah, it looks, it looks like you have, yeah, it looks like you have a, a regular, uh, BK socket with, uh, like a single strut design, um, yeah. you know, for your foot, uh, and it's a pin, pin socket. Got it. Yeah. I'm pin lock as well. I, I know people like to debate this stuff and I get yeah. email all the time, like suction, pin, vac. I'm like, you know what? Try everything and then just yes. figure out what works best for you. You know, because, you know, I, I I really, really back away slowly when someone starts preaching about you need to do this. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I won't even engage a prosthetist who starts talking to me that way. I'll say, you know, I really just want to try what's available. I want to see what's comfortable for me. I want to be able to test drive as, as many things as possible so that I can see what I'm, where I'm most comfortable sitting, see where I'm most comfortable riding a bike, see where I'm most comfortable, you know, walking. I want to make sure that it, I, I kind of have everything covered because it, it, if walking is my only purpose, meaning I can develop a great gait with this one system, but every time I sit down for at least a half hour, I'm in excruciating pain. Well, that's useless to me why, you know, I, I, I have a desk job. Like I sit down all the time and I don't want to be sitting at my desk thinking, oh my gosh, I got to take this thing off. I, I, I really want to feel as if this is tolerable. There's, there's no issue. So, um, no, I, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, I want to start getting into this fantastic organization you're part of, um, you know, the Limb Preservation Foundation, when that particular connection with you, um, from what I remember reading, this was pretty early on, correct? In your journey that, that you kind of got hooked up with them, correct? Yeah. So why don't you walk me through that? How did that come about? Oh, very fortunately, I, I got introduced to some fantastic doctors at um, Presbyterian St. Luke. I 
fortunately was introduced to the founders of the Limb Preservation Foundation. They actually were on the team um, that were my doctors. And um, it was Dr. Ross Wilkins and um, his partner who um, has passed away, but he was a partner with Dr. Ross Wilkins and his team, Dr. Um, David Schnur and um, Dr. Hahn. And um, they, they, they were great. I mean, they, they literally saved my lives. So um, went was there with them and um, their patient assistance committee and their um, peer counselors and um, the team there, um, they have care bags that they all helped me while I was in the hospital. And I remembered that. And um, one of their peer support persons helped Mike talk to him while I was in the hospital. And so I was just introduced to them very early on. And when I got out of the hospital, um, I thought, you know, I'm grateful. I want to volunteer with them. I want to give back. And so I started doing some volunteer work for them and really just stuck with them for years. So for years, we did some volunteering. Mike did some volunteering. My kids even did some volunteering with them. And years went by, and then I decided I wanted to go back to work and tried a couple gigs, and it worked out a little bit. But then I thought, I really want to do something with the Limb Preservation Foundation. It just seems like a good fit for me. I mean, why not? I'm a, I have a limb loss. I mean, I, I know this foundation well, doing all this volunteer work for them. And um, served on a committee for them, the patient assistance committee. And finally in 2020, a position opened, no, it was 2021, a position opened up, which was the perfect thing for me. It was a part-time position, um, the program manager position, um, part-time. And I work with a partner named Eunice and we work great together. And we share this job and I love it. So um, we do patient assistance where we give funding um, from donated funds to patients who um, are, that have survived some limb difference or limb loss and um, are undergoing cancer or infection with with a limb. Yep. And um, can't pay their bills right now. They, they need help with the rent, um, utilities, mortgage, and a committee meets, goes through the applications, and um, gives them funds. So for our- and a wonderful uh, our, committee that's our, put together. For our philanthropic uh, listeners, uh, what would be the best and easiest way for them to engage your foundation, to make a donation, to get involved- to, to navigate that and um, do some good along with you. What would you, where would you recommend they go? We do have annual, we do have an annual fund that we, we raise at the end of the year. Um, they could get on our mailing list. If they want to just donate funds, they can do that through our annual gifts at the end. Um, and is that limbpreservation.org you know, is where they need to go? We have a, yeah, limbpreservation.org. Okay. So that would be, let's call that like step one. Like, hey, 
step one. Get on there, check it out, get some information. And mm -hmm. I'm assuming there's there's a way to to reach out and uh, be contacted by someone from from the from the foundation that might uh, offer some options as to how to engage and uh, help you guys with your mission in terms of getting these much needed resources to people that are trying to navigate this space and they they just don't have the the luxury of let's say uh, insurance they don't have the luxury of the right support systems in place to get them up and moving and living well again I I I think organizations like yourself are so critical for this community, almost vital, because one of the things that I experienced as a new amputee was finding good resources, finding the right kind of support. And for me, given that I was fortunate enough to have the right insurance in place, so much of of what I needed in terms of navigating and support was getting hooked up with the right kind of emotional support, getting hooked up with the right kind of technology or good solid recommendations as far as what the you know prosthetic world was going to offer me what prosthetist was a good fit for me, what technology uh, that was available in, in, in the uh, below-the-knee amputation spectrum at that time. I, I spent probably almost two years in a very, very frustrated space wondering, am I ever going to feel like, like, I hate, don't want to keep using this word, but do I ever, am I ever going to feel like things are normal again, where I yeah. can approach life in a way that although it's going to look different, it's still sustainable and I can kind of go with this and it's now become my new normal. And I would say I'm, I'm six, six years into this now. This is, probably the first let's say year year and a half where i i'm starting not to recall what it was like to have both legs because i've adapted so well at this point and i have gone through so much of what's necessary to sort of accept and receive you know what my situation is and because my life has been enhanced through my amputation, through my limb difference, in that I live in a way that is happier, I am in, in a relationship that's much happier for me, and I embrace my work and my friends and my family in a completely different sort of way now. I, I almost tend to believe that before I got sick, that I kind of lived with blinders on. I was sort of on autopilot, and I wasn't really taking time 
to just embrace sort of the joy that was around me. I, I kind of compare myself a little bit to a bulldozer. You know, I just was kind of pushing everything out of my way. <laughs> I mean, I, you yeah. know, I, I had forward movement, my career was developing, and I had stuff, let's call it. But I was just sort of like this human bulldozer that was just kind of plowing through everything and everyone. And, you know, support systems like the foundation that you represent, I I think will give not only amputees, but also their families, the much needed resources to be able to navigate this brand new sort of landscape. You also, very important to mention, uh, you have a symposium coming up yes. on Friday, April 29th. Um, do I have that right? Uh, April 21st. April 21st. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. I probably have an old, I I think I, gosh, this is embarrassing. I think that's I think the old I have date, the, but that's okay. I think I have the flyer from last year. Okay. <laughs> oh, you probably do. <laughs> yeah. I think that was last year's date. Yeah. That's okay. We'll get you the new one. I'll send it yeah. to you. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so give me the, the 411 on this year's symposium, the correct date, the location, and how to get involved. Oh, please. Yes. Let's, let's get everybody involved because this is going to be fantastic. Everything you've ever wanted to know about the Limb Preservation Foundation and really about how to be an amputee and how to get involved. It's, um, it'll be at the Marriott in Golden and April 21st, and it'll be from 8 a.m. to, uh, excuse me, 12 p.m. to 8 p.m., and um, you can get involved if you're a caregiver or a provider of any kind of amputee services or limb different services or healthcare. Um, you can be a sponsor if you'd like to sponsor and have a booth at our event. Um, we welcome you to do that too. You can show your wares. Lots of people come, so it's a great time to, to present what you have. Um, if you're a patient and would like to come and see all the technology that's there or you just network with some great doctors or some great providers, if you learn want to learn about some technology, um, you could come in. There's these mini little events that are there, speakers, and go to different rooms and learn about some different stuff. Um, last year was a lot of fun. Lots of cool giveaways too, so you can fill a bag full of neat little fun prizes and and stuff. Um, we're busy filling up those bags, and um, yeah, so we welcome you to come. Um, you can get more information about the event at our our website, which is thelimbpreservation.org, and um, yeah, email us too at patient resources. Um, we can send you some information too, if you want to send us your email too. Oh, that's fantastic. And I'm, I'm assuming that, uh, uh, our listeners that go, will get an opportunity to see Christine Lentz as well. Yes. You'll be there. Yes, You will get to see me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, that's... and my, you can ask me questions about my stuff and I can tell you what it's like too. Yeah. And that's so, so critically important. Um, I, I, I'm in the same same sort of headspace of people want 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 to know you know what what's on my leg or what's this like what does this feel like you know mm -hmm. all of those things are fair game with me uh, I I encourage it 
curiosity is very important in this community. And that normalization piece, I think, is uh, is just, um, it, it really makes things livable, tolerable, and everyone can get on the same page and feel like, hey, this is just life. And um, we just want to uh, encourage that kind of conversation amongst people in the community, and you're doing that. Uh, Christine, I so appreciate you taking the time today to be with me and to muscle through some of our technical issues this morning. <laughs> and um, you're truly an inspiration. And Thank the you. way in which you do this with such grace, and I, um, I am inspired by your story and and what you're doing and where you have come out on the other side of this. Um, not only in the way that you're giving back to such a fantastic organization, but truly just in the way that you live your life. And I want so much, so, so many uh, people that I do talk to on a daily basis that are stuck or they're, they're, they're feeling as if um, they can't be happy again, they can't smile again. Um, there is hope. And people like yourself prove that. And not that I'm trying to throw this, this responsibility on your shoulders <laughs> to carry us all, because um, I know you're just a tiny little thing. Um, but at the same time, uh, just knowing that there is life after these major changes is very, very encouraging. So I, I so appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for providing this platform um, for amputees. I think that's really important. Um, so thank you. Oh, no, it's, it's, thank you it's, much. it's been my pleasure. It's my guilty pleasure because it's, it's somewhat self-serving in that I get to meet all my heroes. And when I was coming up as an amputee, there were all these folks that I sort of followed and in sort of a voyeuristic way, like, oh, what's this person doing? And oh, wow, they're <laughs> getting a new leg today. And oh, this person, you know, is, is you know, getting a new hand today. And, and now to be able to engage and have a conversation, it, it's truly been a beautiful process for me and such a pleasure to meet you. That is going to wrap it up for us today. My name is Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast, and I want to wish everyone health and happiness. We'll see you next time.